0: This is The Ascending Life with Pastor Josh Blevins of Grace Calvary Chapel.
1: It makes me sad today that people not only despise authority in general today. It's a sign of the end of the times, by the way. The Bible says that people will despise authority. They want to be their own authority. But they've minimized, even in the church, the authority of pastors. People today have turned pastors into their entertainers into their motivational speakers, and into their personal life coaches.
0: What kind of emotions does the word authority bring up in you? People tend to have a wide range of feelings when it comes to authority. A lot of times, those feelings are influenced by their past experiences with authority. Let's face it, a lot of people try to use authority for selfish gain. But God is different. He's perfect and good. His authority and ways are for the benefits not of himself, but of those who love him. In today's message, Pastor Josh will show you that the best life is once submitted to God. Now, here's Pastor Josh in the book of Hebrews chapter 13, as he continues his message, Continue in a Better Way.
1: The Bible talks very powerfully about the tongue being a little rudder that turns a big ship, a little fire that burns a big forest. The tongue can do powerful things. And here we learn that God created our voice to give glory and honor to Him and to praise His name and give Him thanks. And what is the antithesis of praise? Using our lips to complain, to argue, to slander, to curse, to defame. Here we find two characteristics of praise. Notice, it's to be number one, it's to be continual. He says, continually offer the sacrifice of praise. Now that doesn't mean like every waking moment you wake up and you just, okay, you start singing and then you just sing all day until you go to bed. That's not what he's talking about. What did David say? Your praise shall be continually be upon my lips. That's a figurative way of saying, I want to live my days recognizing the grace of God in my life, acknowledging his goodness in every situation, finding ways to see through my difficulty and trial to what God is doing. I'm not a victim of my circumstances. My circumstances are merely an opportunity to see what God wants to accomplish in my life. It's to be continual. Ephesians 5 puts it like this. Paul says, we are to give thanks always and for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. I think of Jesus at the Last Supper, the Bible three times at the Last Supper said, and Jesus gave thanks. And I find this interesting. And it wasn't like a platitude, right? Jesus wasn't like, okay, time to eat. God, thank you for this food in my name. Amen. It wasn't that. Jesus was grateful, and when you put that in context, it's very challenging. Grateful for what? The fact that he was going to be betrayed by one of the people he committed his life to just in a few moments? The fact that he was going to go in the Garden of Gethsemane and submit his will to God and sweat drops of blood and submit himself to crucifixion and bearing the sins of the world on his shoulders by himself? Grateful for what? The cross that would bring shame and death and pain And the departure of this fellowship he had with the Father from the beginning of time, Jesus gave thanks. Why? Because Jesus knew what was ahead of the cross. He gave thanks. Maybe that he could spend that last moment with his disciples one final time. So as they went from there and they sang psalms, Jesus sang one of the final things he did with his disciples before going to the cross, sang psalms to God. He found reasons, thankful that his sacrifice would make the way for you and I to be with him forever. Thankful that he would be reunited in glory with the Father. Thankful for the joy set before him. He endured the cross. So our praise is to be continual, but number two, Hebrews tells us our praise is to be vocal. In other words, we don't get the excuse of never verbalizing our gratitude to God. I don't like to sing... God gave you a voice. If you don't have a voice, you have an excuse. But if you do have a voice, you don't have an excuse. We gotta lift our voice up, why? Because it's an expression of gratitude to God. What if you gave your husband or wife something as a gift or you sacrificed something or you have been doing things to show your appreciation? And I'm an introvert. I typically internalize, I don't vocalize. And I've learned that it's not good to just, you know, honey, well, I was thankful for you in my heart. No one appreciates that. No one appreciates, hey, it's nice that you thought to say thank you. It's nice that you thought, wow, that was really special. How about saying it? How about verbalizing it? How about communicating it? And that is what praise truly does. Verbalizes our gratitude to the Lord. When we sing, we lift our voices, when we pray, it lets God and others know that we are truly grateful for his grace in our lives. And so the first sacrifice is the sacrifice of praise. Number two, he says that we are to offer the sacrifices of goodness and generosity. Verse 16, he says, do not forget to do good and to share for with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. And I love how he has to tell these people, do not forget. If you have to tell someone, do not forget, what does that typically mean about them? They're probably prone to forget. And so he says, connecting this to praise, he said, okay, so you go and you sing and you praise and you say, thank you, God. But don't forget that Christianity is not just about how you praise God in the four walls of the church. It's also about how you serve others outside the four walls of the church. It's also about the good you do in the lives of those around you. It's also about how generous you are with what God has given you and how that generosity shows someone else a picture of Jesus and how much he gives. It might seem elementary to say, do good and share. It's like a a kindergarten lesson, right? Be good and share, share your toys. But apparently, there are many of us who always forget or neglect to do those things from day to day. Might be something as simple as buying someone lunch, opening your home for dinner, supporting a missionary, helping a widow or an orphan, supporting a ministry, giving an extra tip to the waitress in Jesus' name, letting someone borrow your truck. I know, guys, that's kind of reaching a little far (laughs) right there. But when it's done in the name of Jesus, the Bible says God smiles. It's like he smiles it's an aroma that just blesses him in heaven when he sees and this is it I think when he sees his kids acting like him when he says to share the word in the Greek is actually the root for the word koinonia which is translated in the New Testament as fellowship the Young's Living Translation puts a verse like this and of doing good and of fellowship do not be forgetful for with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. In other words, sharing is not just, here, I'm gonna let you borrow this. Sharing is a connection of your life to mine. What's mine is yours, what's yours is mine. Fellowship, koinonia, means to have all things in common. It means that you're part of my life and I'm sharing my life with you. And God is pleased in that. Number three, we are to continue in the better way by continuing in Everyone say it. You had sounded so excited when you said that. I would rather skip this verse, but it is here, and we will talk about it. In verse 17, he says, Obey those who rule over you. Be submissive, for they watch out for your souls as those who must give account. Let them do so with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable to you. Here, Paul lays out the need for every Christian to have authority spiritually in their life. And I know that he's talking about spiritual authority because part of the job description of those who he says rule over you is to give an account, to look out for your soul, which is a spiritual job description, and to give an account to God. And I believe that Paul is talking that, uh, about none other than pastors and elders and leaders within his church. That God has placed structures of authority within the local body of Christ for the spiritual health, protection, and benefit of the local church. In context, pastoral leadership, or eldership if we call it that, it's not a job of public speaking, or motivational leadership, or building an organization as a CEO, Eldership is about shepherding the souls of God's people with God's heart, knowing that God will hold one accountable for how they spent their time, the things they taught, the doctrine they accepted, the way that they studied and the prepared, and the compassion they extended, the people they prayed for. There's all going to be an account given to God, and that ought to cause every pastor to tremble in their boots. One pastor once wrote that a pastor who is impacted by the gospel will step up to the pulpit to preach with a limp and not a swag. I I agree with that. There is a dependency that falls on you when you recognize something so serious and so weighty is in your care. But notice, while pastors have a great weight of responsibility, Paul's exhortation is to the flock or to the local congregation. In other words, he says the sheep can do their part to make the task of a pastor a joyous one or by being cantankerous, stubborn, and rebellious can discourage a pastor to no end. I love how one pastor put it in Woodrow Kroll. He just simply said, pastors need your grace, not your gripes. Here, Pastor Paul reminds the people that they can make an elder or a pastor's job joyous or grievous, and apparently a burned out, discouraged, frustrated pastor is not profitable to the people they're trying to shepherd. For Paul portrays this as a cycle. The people discourage their church leadership by complaining and living disobediently to God's word and being stubborn and obstinate towards spiritual growth in like. Turn, the pastor sees ministry as a burden, the people as a drain, and he starts to become impatient and harsh with them, and the cycle just continues and starts all over. Reminds me of the mom who walked into her son's room and jostled him up. Johnny, it's Sunday morning. You got to go to church. It's time. And he rolled over and he said, oh, do I have to go to church, mom? I go every Sunday. And she said, yes, because you are the pastor. And I'm grateful that this is not the case in our fellowship. But I want to tell you, it is the, Paul wouldn't have addressed it if it wasn't the case. It is a case in so many. Every church I've been a part of up to this point has had these issues. And I love how Warren Wiersbe sort of sums this up. He puts it very plainly. He says, when a servant of God is in the will of God, teaching the word of God, the people of God should submit and obey. And Paul uses two words here, obey and submit. The word obey means to comply with, and the word submit means to not resist or to yield to one's authority. Now, let's say what the Bible is not teaching us. Paul is not suggesting blind obedience to anyone who calls himself a spiritual leader. Our submission is always to God first and to humans second. We willingly submit ourselves to leaders that have gained our trust, who have taught us well in the word of God, and that we know that there's a safety and a protection under that is what Paul is talking about, nor is he giving pastors or elders overarching or absolute control over every area of a person 's life it 's not like Paul is saying, if your pastor tells you to buy a blue car, then you buy a blue car you know don 't question him if he tells you to marry so and so or if he tells you to go live this place, or if he tells you no, this is not some weird wacky shepherding type of overarching control of a pastor in every area of your life. But notice, Paul is asserting that God has established a realm of authority in the church, that people spiritually and doctrinally should submit themselves to sound instruction that is coming from the spiritual leaders who care for their soul. It makes me sad today that people not only despise authority in general today. It's a sign of the end of the times, by the way. The Bible says that people will despise authority. They want to be their own authority. But they've minimized, even in the church, the authority of pastors. People today have turned pastors into their entertainers, into their motivational speakers, and into their personal life coaches. I don't remember, you Off have to forgive me, I'm speaking off the top of my head, but I'm I'm fairly confident it was Ezekiel, where God spoke to him. It was one of the Old Testament major prophets. And God spoke to him and said, the people see you, and they say, let us go to the house of the Lord, and let us listen to him sing a beautiful song, and let us enjoy his eloquent words. And then God says, you are nothing more to them than a song, and basically entertainment, And then God says, yet they go away and they don't do anything you say. That is what church has turned into. In large part, in our entertainment, self-centered society. If the pastor steps on my toes with truth, if he makes decisions in the church I personally don't like and don't match with my preferences, or I just feel uncomfortable when he calls me to do things that are outside of my comfort zone... For the sake of Christ, well, I'll give him my anonymous letter and let him know that my tithe pays his salary. Hey, I love you, but you can take your anonymous letter and you can take your tithe to some other church. That is not the design of... The church is not the country club you pay your dues into so that you can have a say in everything that happens. The pastor is not your hireling that you give perks to so he can do it the way you want. That's not the church of Jesus Christ. And it is Jesus' church. And pastors need to be reminded that it's not your church. It's not my church. It's Jesus' church, and Jesus in his church has established a healthy form of structure and authority for, notice, for the health of the church. Because he says, if you make it difficult for your spiritual leaders to lead you, It's not profitable for you. Notice that the emphasis is on the benefit it has for the people. It's not profitable for you. Notice that, and again, it's a great weight. They're responsible to look out for your souls. In other words, pastors are not to be looking out for their own kingdom or their own self-interest. They're to be looking out for the souls of others, knowing that God will one day require an account And so he gives us this call to live within submission. And I I just, as much as you guys don't know me personally, I hope you know my heart. When I say things like, you should come to a prayer meeting. Or let's get out there and be bold in our witness. Or give generously to support this missionary or this cause. I'm not trying to exert authority over you to get you to do something I want you to do. I want you to stand before Jesus with a lot of fruit in your basket, (laughs) with a lot of eternally valuable work in your account. I want you to experience the depth that Christ has for you. And so Paul calls us each, and even for the pastor, there is authority in his life. Namely, of course, the Word of God, but I have pastors in my life that are above me, that Call me into account. I know that they watch my sermons because I get emails from them occasionally. And I listen to their words. And we are all to put ourselves into submission to God's word. Number four, he calls us to continue in prayer. And I'm not going to go really in depth on this because it would turn into a whole sermon within itself. But verse 18, Paul says, Pray for us, for we are confident that we have a good conscience in all things, desiring to live honorably. But I especially urge you to do this, that I may be restored to you sooner. Paul frequently asked for prayer. It was not beneath him as an apostle to look at the people and say, please pray for me. My reputation, Paul would say, is under attack. People are saying I'm in it for the money. People are saying I'm in it for the power. People are accusing me of the wrong motives. But I know that I've lived with a clear conscience. I know what my motive is, but pray for me. There's a spiritual warfare going on. And pray for me that I could be restored to you, right? There's nothing too small that's not deserving of our prayer. I love how Spurgeon wrapped it up. He said, more prayer will show us more power. Isn't that the truth? More prayer will show us more power. We are to make our requests known to God. Number five, he closes by telling us that we are to continue in the better way by continuing in confidence. But the Lord will complete what he has started. Verse 20, he says, Now may the God of peace, who brought up our Lord Jesus from the dead, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you complete in every good work to do his will, working in you what is well-pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. What captures me about this verse So up to this point, chapter 13 has been filled with imperative. You do this, do this, do this. But he ends the chapter with a passive voice saying, it's God who's going to do it in you. We might be able to say that we can only do for God because of what God has already done in us. In other words, God is the one who will sanctify us. God is the one who will purify us. God is the one who will work in us the things that we must work out of us. God is the one who will see it to completion. If you are in Christ and you are resting and keeping yourself in the love of God, if you are in Christ, then Christ will see to it that every good and perfect work he has begun in you will be completed to the day of Christ Jesus. And real quickly, the geek in me just wants to break down the passage real quick. Notice the four elements of this one verse. He says, the one who performs the action, the God of peace, who resurrected Jesus from the dead, who is the great shepherd of the sheep. The means by which the action is performed through the blood of the everlasting covenant, that is nothing but the blood of Jesus, the famous line, can get us the action. And what is the action? That God will make us complete in every good work. And what is the outcome of the action performed? That God is pleased and Jesus is glorified in our life. This is what God's goal is for your life to make you complete, to glorify Him, and to see you through to the end. You might be in a place of discouragement. You might be in a place where you feel like you've really hit a roadblock in your fruitfulness and in God's plan for your life. And maybe just one of you needs to hear this today. Christ has not forsaken you because Christ cannot forsake you. If he did, he would not be God and he would not be good. You are simply in process. Embrace the process and look to Jesus for the work, the fruit is coming. He closes it out by saying, I appeal to you, brethren, Bear with the word of exhortation. He said, I know I've said some hard things. And according to him, he said, I have written to you in few words. Paul was long-winded. He preached till midnight once, and someone fell out of a window and died. So if you think your church experience is it's not quite that, not quite there yet. And then he speaks of Timothy. No, our brother Timothy has been set free So apparently, Timothy there had also suffered persecution for Christ, with whom I shall see you if he comes shortly. Greet all those who rule over you and all the saints. Those from Italy greet you. And he ends with the perfect word, grace to you all. Amen. He wraps up the entire book with one final blessing, grace. Jesus is better, he would say. He's better than anything in religion. He's better than any sacrificial system. He's better than any attempt that you could make to try to impress God. But he's also better than the world. And he's better than the fleeting pleasures and the passing treasures that are in the world. And if we just stick with Jesus, we will find everything we need. And could ever hope to want. <laughs> Ultimately, being with him forever.
0: That's all we have time for on today's edition of The Ascending Life with Pastor Josh Flevins. Thanks for tuning in. The Ascending Life is a ministry of Grace Calvary Chapel in St. Joseph, Missouri. And our prayer is that today's message from the book of Hebrews impacted your faith journey in a mighty way. If you have any questions about today's message or would like to connect for other reasons, feel free to give us a call at 816-279-2090. That number again is 816-279-2090. If you'd like to listen to today's teaching again or hear others like it from Pastor Josh, just visit theascendinglife.com and click on Media. You can watch our YouTube channel, read our blog, or listen to our podcast. Or better yet, visit us in person. We meet each Sunday at 8 and 10 a.m. and would love to have you join us. At Grace Calvary Chapel, we believe in awakening people to the love, truth, and power of God. If you're looking for a place where you can experience the love, truth, and power of God, we'd love to be that space for you. All are welcome, so come just as you are. For directions and other information about who we are and what we believe in, visit TheAscendingLife.com. Be sure to like and follow us on Facebook and Instagram to receive daily encouragement too. Well, that's it for today. But thanks again for tuning in to today's message with Pastor Josh. Join us again next time to learn more from the mighty book of Hebrews right here on The Ascending Life.
1: We're